The doctor is alive. No, you're wrong. He's dead. All the cells of his body have been devastated by the Metabilis crystals, but you forget. He is a Time Lord. I will give the process a little push and the cells will regenerate. He will become a new man. Literally? Of course, he will look quite different. Not again. And it will shake up the brain cells a little. You may find his behavior somewhat erratic. Well, when will all this happen? Well, there's no time like the present, is there? Goodbye. Look after him. Now, wait a moment. Look, Brigadier, look. I think it's starting. Well, here we go again. And thank you for joining us on a quick trip through space and time. My name is Caleb. And I'm Mac. And this is a podcast where a Doctor Who veteran and a Doctor Who beginner go through each episode of Doctor Who and give their thoughts on it. I feel like every time I do that, I say Doctor Who a lot. (laughs) And this week, we are talking about Planet of the Spiders. Yeah, we are. An episode I am very excited about. (laughs) I think this is going to be a good one just because... You're going to hate it. <laughs> and I'm going to enjoy every second of it. <laughs> oh, God damn it. I remember you telling me uh, a year and a half ago, I feel, saying like, yeah, at some point we're going to get to plant the spiders and you're going to hate that. The, the moment has arrived. <laughs> <laughs> the moment has arrived. It's not quite as anticipated as the talons of Wang Chiang, but I have been looking forward to this one. <laughs> <laughs> Man, the moment we do Talons of Wang Chiang, it's just going to be all downhill from there. <laughs> I have nothing else to look forward to. Anyway, this episode was written by Robert Sloman, directed by Barry Letts, and produced by Barry Letts. I wrote predicted there. It was predicted, predicted. by Barry Letts. Um, it aired May 4th, 1974 to June 8th, 1974. Do you recognize Robert Sloman by any chance? No. He did, he did three episodes. They were all Third Doctor episodes. And he also, he has never just solo written anything. And I think this might actually be included in that. I think he actually co-wrote this episode with Barry Letts. I don't recognize it. Okay. He also co-wrote with Barry Letts, The Diamonds, The Green Death, and, drumroll, the Time Monster. Oh my god. Well, one of those was pretty good, actually. One of those was pretty good, one of them was alright, and the other one... It is the <laughs> least liked episode since the Romans. <laughs> so, uh, Looking forward to that. Now, I know for a fact that, you know, this is the 1970s, so a lot of the spider effects are very... Your kids' paper mache <laughs> spiders. I do not know if they are... If they use, like stock footage from the bbc archives or anything if they use bbc footage of spiders i'm gonna be fucking pissed Mike. <laughs> uh, i can't wait <laughs> it's not that bad caleb i feel like you're not going to i feel like your fight or flight instinct is not going to be activated in this episode 
We'll we'll see. I don't think anyone realizes how much I do not fucking like spiders. There is, however, an episode in New Who called Arachnids in the UK that will absolutely activate oh, your fighter fight response. <laughs> well, Kyla and I were always talking about horror movies to watch, and we're recording this in October. She points out that a lot of times the things that we watch very much scare her and not me. And I'm also... I adamantly refuse to watch the things that would scare me, like eight-legged freaks or arachnophobia. (laughs) Or like, you know, the things that actually scare me? uh, No, off the the table. Absolutely fucking not. Eight-legged freaks, arachnophobia, that one scene from Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. (laughs) Oh, God! (laughs) Don't worry, my mom can't watch that scene either. I have watched that movie once, and for reasons outside of J.K. Rowling being a turf, I will not watch that movie again. (laughs) (laughs) Caleb, given everything you know about uh, Doctor Who and given the title of this episode, The Planet of the Spiders, and given just your intense arachnophobia, what do you think this episode's going to be about? So you remember that that thing from the web planet? What was it called? The Animus? The Animus, yes. Uh, And I was like, wow, those zombie ant things fucking suck. I should get better bug monsters. It finds a planet that actually has webs for sensible reasons. It's like, hey, these spider things are great. Who is that dickhead on that one planet I don't like? And it draws the doctor in to, to, to get eaten by spiders. And then the great intelligence just comes over with his yetis and his webs and be like, you rang. You rang. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. <laughs> just... I'm less looking forward to this episode and more looking forward to recording this episode with you. Because <laughs> I just want to see what your reaction is to it. Not looking forward to it one bit. <laughs> and on that note, we will see you all in the future. Let's get going. And we're back. May have just been a couple seconds for you, but it was one week for us. Not too bad after our last. Uh, yeah, the, after the last seventeen-year gap between uh, between recordings, yeah, <laughs> one week's not too bad. Uh, before we get started, there are a couple of post-view notes I should probably mention. First of all, uh, this is the final appearance of Richard Franklin as Mike Yet. Mike Yetz. Yeah, that's his Mike name. Yet. This is the final appearance of Richard Franklin as Mike Yates. This is the first time that we, that we, we specifically, ever actually see a Time Lord regeneration on screen. Because technically for us, Tenth Planet was audio, and you don't see the second Doctor regenerate into third. Oh, so yeah, this, that's true. <laughs> and, and it's weird because that honor doesn't even go to the Doctor. It goes to a completely different <laughs> character. <laughs> but... On that note, later in the story, we then do see the Doctor regenerate, and this story is the sees the departure of John Pertwee as the Doctor. And I guess technically the introduction of Tom Baker as the Doctor? I mean, he was there. He, he was there he, for he like come in the film. a second and a half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, Caleb, before we get get going... What are your general thoughts about the Planet of Spiders? Because I have I have a, a big question for you. 
I've got a big problem with it. It's about spiders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had to look at even fake spiders for a extended amount of time. But overall, I thought it was pretty good, actually. Yeah, yeah I, thought it, I thought it was really good. Definitely one of the better ones overall, but I still don't think it comes even close to the best episodes of The Second Doctor. Yeah, because the, the big question I wanted to ask you is, did the 1970s special effects and props do anything to dampen your arachnophobia? Uh, yes, but not enough. <laughs> okay. Um, I really don't even like thinking about spiders. So I see them do their little eight leg thing. And like sometimes they bounce up and down. I'm like, Ugh, I don't yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you this trivia right now. Cause just, it's Fuck. fun. We're recording this on October 29th. So it's like epitome spooky season right now. So this trivia is perfect for you for the great one. The production assistant created a five foot tall spider with red eyes that appeared to breathe by using an inflatable bladder, but Barry Letts felt it was too scary. <laughs> <laughs> well, I agree. I am glad I didn't have to witness that, because, like, the great one is, like, big, and, like, it moves around, like, yeah, big spider, don't like that, but I was like, it could have been worse, and boy, how did I guess it could have been. I also found out that apparently uh, you are not alone in your fear of spiders, because guess who else has crippling arachnophobia? Elizabeth Sladen. <laughs> guess who had to film multiple scenes with a giant spider on her back? Elizabeth Sladen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she got paid for it. She'll be fine. <laughs> well, um, my general thoughts here. I also I agree. Planet Spiders, I thought was it was really good, and ranking is going to be hard because like right now. It's in my top five, but, like, my number four, five, and six are kind of, like, all on the same level of quality. <laughs> so, it's, so it's difficult to readily say whether... I mean, I guess you'll find out next episode whether it may manage to actually make my top five. But right now, it's in my top five. It's definitely going to be in my top five. Probably the upper half of the top five. Okay. Because I like the ones that are kind of lore-heavy for the Doctor. Mm, yeah. This one very much was. It very much was, yes. It, it, it does a lot of good character work for this Doctor, I feel. There's very much a lot of good character work, a lot of good lore for the Doctor, and then a good throwback to one of the other really good episodes in this story. Yeah. And I like that. I kind of like the connection between like what seemed like a very little thing in that story to... Mm-hmm this major event yeah absolutely all right well uh let's without delay let us go into the breach you and i let's just get into it also like i like this episode and like there was so much i wanted to talk about which is weird so i hope i did a good job on the descriptions because i it was hard to kind of nail down what was relevant and what wasn't Hmm. but anyways episode one Oh my god, it's Yates! And he's wandering around some sort of monastery where, when he stumbles on a group of men doing some sort of weird ritual before running away. The Brigadier and the Doctor are watching a clairvoyant show, and the Doctor picks up on the fact that he is actually psychic. Yates meets Sarah and brings her to the monastery, and he tells her that he is suspicious of what is going on there. The Brigadier and the Doctor do some experiments on the psychic guy. The Doctor hands him a recent package and asks him what's inside. The psychic says it is the crystal that the doctor gave Joe before she left. And sure enough, it is the Metabellus crystal. Yates and Sarah arrive, and a man named Lupton inquires about her visit. 
Yates stops Sarah from saying anything too revealing. They sneak around the facility and Sarah gives her brooch to a simple man named Tommy. Clegg holds the crystal and dies from the intense visions he has while holding it. Sarah stumbles onto another seance and a spider appears in the circle. So I kind of misinterpreted the first scene of this story because the doctor and the brigadier are kind of in the audience of like this vaudeville-esque act and it's very clear that all of the acts that they're watching are like super shitty like just like the worst comedy routines the worst magic and everything i assumed this was like some sort of punishment for the doctor (laughs) <laughs> I assume like he was being forced to go to this show as like some sort of recompense for some shit that he did to the brigadier. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just thought they were on a cute little date. <laughs> Finally, the homoerotic tension was broken. And the master nowhere in sight. I know, strange. You said that the doc or the master was going to be gone for a while. Yes. And I assumed it would be longer than this, but there was a little bit of me that was like, is this a master episode? Just given how they've written previous Master episodes, I can very easily see the Master just kind of being fitted in here. Pretty much replace Lupton with the Master. and Yep. <laughs> or alternatively, we met Choji in this episode, right? So replace Choji with, with the Master. Oh, I can yeah. also see that. I can also see that. So <laughs> It would not be the first time that... He used a group of humans as a cult to summon an all-powerful being. Like, that's literally <laughs> what he did in the day. That's what he does. <laughs> so, speaking of Choji, we meet Choji, who is, like, kind of the steward slash main caretaker of this monastery. And he works for someone named uh, Kanpo. Was that his name? Yeah, Kanpo. Yeah. And... Uh, Boy, howdy, is that a white guy doing a yeah. doing an accent? I mean, I'm interpreting this all for my notes, and my note just says, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big, big Mickey Rooney energy. Big Mickey Rooney energy with Choji. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, boy. Ooh, wow. And uh, that makes me all the more excited to watch um, the Talons of Wang Chan. Is that what it's called? Close. The Talons of Wang Chiang. Wang Chiang, man, I, no, I was real close. You were very close. Because boy, howdy, if that's how it was in this one, can't imagine how terrible it's going to be when we get there. Uh, Your face right now is yeah. not making me feel any better. Yeah, this, is a, this is a purely audio medium, but if we had any visual opponents, it would have looked like I just sucked on a lemon. <laughs> <laughs> so Yates is obviously the first character we see when mm-hmm. this happens. And... Uh, Instantly, I was like, is Yates the bad guy again? Come on, Yates, you're better than this. You know, it's funny to say that because, like, pretty soon we see that Yates has, like, gone to pick up Sarah at the train station or whatever. And he's bringing her to the monastery because he knows something's going down there. And his logic is, unit won't trust me. So I need you to see what's going on at the monastery and you tell unit and that way, Unit will be able to get involved in this. And so that makes sense from Yates' perspective. What doesn't make sense is from Sarah's perspective. She is surprisingly chummy with Yates, considering the <laughs> one and only time they've met, he tried to kill her. 
<laughs> it feels like they had been like friends for years and I feel like we missed out on something because it there was too too good of a rapport between Sarah and Yates. And he just okay. kind of like has a throwaway line of like, oh yeah, that whole that whole incident with the dinosaurs. You mean that time that you held me at gunpoint? That time that you tried to destroy all of humanity all in one go? Really? That time? Oh yeah, I remember that. Good times. <laughs> we we really came together as a group there. It was a real bonding time. I don't know. Maybe it's like Stockholm syndrome or something. <laughs> Caleb, the solution to everything in this show cannot be Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> I mean, why not though? <laughs> that seems like an arbitrary rule. <laughs> Look, just because Stockholm syndrome happens in almost every episode does not mean we have to keep bringing it up. How would you feel about the character Tommy? I did. I didn't totally hate it until halfway through the story at first i'm like eh, that's a little weird but whatever and then i don't know and then he gets cured of his simpleness for lack of a better word yeah they they are very very non-specific as to what exactly is wrong with tommy and they probably because it was the 1970s and they're like oh he's crazy okay yeah, he's vaguely the R word. Yeah. So he's just like, a, this, this is their words, not mine. Simple. And like everyone at the monastery just kind of like berates him and pushes him around literally sometimes. And I was like, that's not cool. And then later on in the story, spoilers, uh, he gets cured by looking at the Metabilis crystal. And I was like, okay. And it... It felt like Flowers for Algernon. Like, it felt like a genuine, that's, this is what happened in Flowers for Algernon. Except they just left off the end bit, and now Tommy's just cured and fine now by the end of the story. And I'm like, this makes me feel gross in a couple of different ways, and I don't know how to articulate it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't really know what to say about it. <laughs> yeah, just... I, for the lack of a better word, I would have preferred him to just stay simple. Yeah, same. <laughs> because curing it is worse. Because, like, we've seen the Metabilis Crystal have, like, healing of the mind properties, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's I, it's really sticky and it makes me feel awkward to talk I, about. I just wanted to to bring it to people's attention to know that I see it. I also have a problem with it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway. But uh, the the doctor brings in the the psychic who was in the uh, vaudeville act and um uh reveals that he is in fact an actual psychic. <laughs> and at one point uh the doctor says that he has ESP and then Lethbridge Stewart says ESP that's extrasensory perception. And the actual psychic looks at the brigadier and says, yeah, I know. Thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Incredible. But then like in order to kind of nail down his, this guy's abilities, he's kind of like hooked up to a machine and put up a monitor to show his his thoughts 
and the doctor hands him his sonic screwdriver and he's just kind of like considering the sonic screwdriver and like seeing all the places it's been or at least that's what it feels like that's supposed to be happening i kind of figured that the that the screen would have just like flashes of the doctor using the sonic screwdriver in a whole bunch of different scenarios instead it just played the scene from carnival of monsters where he fought the drashigs off yeah i thought that was a weird choice yeah i'm like do we have can we forget about the Drashigs? Because I really just want to forget Carnival of Monsters exists, but they keep bringing them back up. <laughs> <laughs> Some producer somewhere is like, listen, guys, we still haven't earned out on those Drashig puppets. <laughs> keep playing them. That might be it. <laughs> <laughs> we spent a lot of money on those things to use once. It was kind of nice hearing from Joe. Is it weird that I kind of missed Joe and I was like, oh, we got a letter from Joe. How nice. <laughs> I really want her to just complain relentlessly about her husband she married after one day. It's like, oh, I made a mistake. Oh, I'm trying to get back, but uh, the immigration is a bitch. <laughs> he won't shut the fuck up about mushrooms. Doctor, I'm going to need you to learn how to pilot the TARDIS and get me the fuck out of here because... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, but as I alluded to before, I kind of like the connection from the Green Death to this story. Mm -hmm. I thought it, it gave... What I appreciate about the third Doctor is I do feel like it has a lot more of a cohesive, linear story happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this just re... Double down on that, and I like that, so... Yeah, yeah. This was uh, co-written by Robert Sloman, so uh, he also co-wrote the Green Death, so... Makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. My other probably favorite episode of this Doctor. There, there was a moment you might need to help me, help, help me with this. Um, when the obviously evil guy is being obviously evil and then stops Mike and Sarah in the hallway, Mike is like trying to be smooth and is trying to, like, oh yeah, you know, uh, she was she was just leaving. And Sarah's like, what are you talking about, Mike? I still need to get an interview with... And, like, he keeps, like, trying to do some sort of con. And Sarah is just not picking up on the vibes that he's putting down. And it just feels weird. It feels like she would be able to go along with this with this lie. Yeah, I don't know. Mm, I don't know. I don't know if Sarah's ever really been like that. I think Joe could, because Joe was a bit more conniving like that but sarah's always been just kind of headstrong i guess that would be headstrong yeah i think would be the word yeah and she would just be very annoyed that someone was trying to stop her from talking that's true i guess it's just that like she's you know an investigative reporter and she has she like in her introductory episode when she lied to get into that that research facility it feels oh, like she true. has the capability to be a little bit more dubious but I guess you're right. There hasn't really been a whole lot of uh, hasn't really been a whole lot of examples of her doing that. So maybe it's me projecting. Well, I mean that's a good example. The other example from that story too is when she is absolutely adamant that she's at a fucking Renaissance fair. And <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> and that the doctor is definitely evil and working with the bad guys based on absolutely nothing. Peak journalism. That's true. But uh, Sarah and Mike do end up, like, going down to the basement, and they hide behind some boxes, 
so that they can watch this summoning ritual take place. And uh, at one point, Sarah's just like, ugh, cobwebs. And she like swapped something away. And I was like, mm-hmm. Those are definitely cobwebs in this, the first episode of The Planet of the Spiders. Cobwebs. Yeah. <laughs> Cobweb. It was at this point I was like, hmm, this episode has a surprising lack of spiders for being about a planet of them. <laughs> and then it appears like, ah, there it is. There's that fucking guy. <laughs> God damn it. I was kind of hoping this would be like a Dalek thing where like, we know the Daleks are in it, but not for, but they don't appear for three episodes. <laughs> when the people at the monastery do that like summoning ritual and the, the spider appears, I do like how you see like the effects of this summoning happening and over at the unit base, like there's a whole bunch of rustling and things are falling off shelves and they do a whole bunch of Dutch angles and because the... The psychic was like looking at the metabilis crystal and like at the same time that the ritual was happening. So like they were feeling this this aftershocks effect. And I think they did a really good job of like making it very chaotic. I, re- I really like that scene. Yeah, I agree. Episode two, part two. Part Portion two. Manic. Sorry. I need to start God, writing dang. down part two because I keep writing down episode in my notes. I know. I keep writing down episode two. <laughs> All right, part two. The spider scares the members of the circle, and it kills one of them as he tries to run. Lepton is then possessed by it. He begins ordering the other men around, but they are suspicious of his mood change. The spider tells Lepton that it is on Earth to retrieve a particular crystal, the one in the doctor's possession. After mentally connecting to the crystal, the only thing the doctor can see is the face of his old mentor. Yates is investigating and wants to speak to a man named Campo, the abbot of the monastery, but Tommy prevents him. Sarah gets back to Unit HQ and tells the Doctor what she saw, and she deduces that they want the crystal he has. The Doctor is confused by this because there are no spiders on Metabellus 3. Lepton breaks in the unit and steals the crystal, and then we get a prolonged chase sequence. The Who-Mobile makes another appearance, and we see it fly for some reason. The Doctor finally catches Lepton on a boat, but the man suddenly disappears with the help of the spider. So, how do you feel about the, uh... The spider latching onto Lupton's back. Didn't like it. <laughs> Spiders touching me? Wrong. Taking over my brain? Worse. <laughs> Much like you with spiders, I have a very, very big phobia of bats. And no matter how cheap the bat prop might look, there is still that scene from Jumanji where the bats come down from the chimney and like a couple of them like land on the girl's shoulders that still freak me the fuck out. So I was kind of assuming, just despite the fact that it's a cheap prop, you were having a similar experience that I did watching that movie. I think all of us kind of underplay how absolutely fucking traumatizing the 1990s Jumanji is. <laughs> fucking right. Oh my god. Because <laughs> uh, like you, there's a cheap spider ace- or prop in that movie that I don't like <laughs> one bit and still haunts my dreams. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but I don't like spiders, and I don't like things that look like spiders, or remind me of them. <laughs> but my kids think that is fucking hilarious. Oh, that you have a fear of spiders? Oh, yeah. Absolutely take advantage of it. They mentally abuse me. Uh, kids are the worst. We should get rid of them. Yes. But uh, speaking of absolutely fucking terrifying, so the psychic is dead, and they need to know what exactly what exactly he saw in the crystal that caused him to die. 
and so they turn on the the mental uh, image machine because they should be able to read the final thoughts he had before he died and being able to visualize the final thoughts of a dying man disturbed me more than I thought it would (laughs) (laughs) yeah now that you mention it it is kind of uh, brutal and horrifying yeah, so they they figure out, oh, it has to do with the crystal, has to do with the spiders. We need to figure out what's going on. We should be able to, like, uh, reverse engineer or whatever the fuck uh, the machine. If someone straps into the imagery and look and considers the crystal, we should be able to. Uh, but it is very dangerous and could kill whoever it is that... Because it killed the last guy, so it might kill whoever does it next. And then... Benton volunteers to do it. He says, and I quote, I'm expendable. You're not. And I don't think we've given enough love to Benton over the course of this series. He's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. Benton's great. When he said that, I was like, oh, Benton. No. (laughs) But also, no. The doctor's definitely getting in the machine. (laughs) You're too good, Benton. Let the doctor die. (laughs) There you go. I also made the the prediction, calling it now, the crystal is an egg. It is not. <laughs> Look, sometimes I'm really good at, at uh, calling plot twists, and I like to call myself out when I call a plot twist. That does not fucking happen. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so the doctor's game set up to do this, uh, I don't know, mental exercise on the crystal. And then... Lupton and the spider sneak into unit and just yank it. Yeah. Unit has absolutely fucking abysmal security. They really do. Like, they have a secretary that just gets lightning bolted, like, Star Wars style, (laughs) right off the bat. And that was it. I don't even think it was a secretary. I'm pretty sure it was, like, a mechanic or some shit. Like, he already (laughs) got into the compound, and the, the guy was like, Hey, do you have your pass? And he's like... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Here, let me let me check. And then he's like, reaches into his uh, breast pocket and then pulls out his middle finger, and then his middle finger shoots out of lightning. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, brilliant security, incredible. And then he takes off in some other strange James Bond spy car <laughs> that looks like a prototype of the Who mobile. Yeah. And then the Who-mobile gets rolled back out. The Who-mobile gets rolled out, rolled out, and my note is, get that weird-ass Who-mobile out of here. <laughs> and then, <laughs> the, the, keep in mind, guys, this is like half the episode is this chase sequence, and it just gets more and more ridiculous. Yeah, most of this episode is just one long chase, uh, chase scene. You're absolutely right. It just kind of keeps ramping up. To hilarious degrees. Because Lupton gets the crystal. He got the crystal, right? Yeah. Okay. The the crystal is such a fucking hot potato in this story. I often forget who has it at any given time. <laughs> but uh, he gets into the Whomobile somehow. Don't know how. Knows how to drive the damn thing. <laughs> uh, and he zooms off. And then... Benton, Brigadier, and the Doctor all clown car into Bessie and drive drive at him. Or no. 
No, you're right. He stole the Humobile, and then they got into Bessie. Yeah, they got into Bessie. And they go to, like, an airport. They, they go to, yeah, they go to an airfield, at which point the doctor hops off and gets into a helicopter that also chases after Lupton. And while they're, ch- while they're going through the countryside, a police officer sees them speeding and then chases after. And then Lupton ditches the Who-mobile and they park next to it and the doctor lands the helicopter and then Lupton sneaks past them and steals the helicopter at which point the doctor and Sarah hop into the Who-mobile which can now fly and he chases (laughs) after the helicopter and then the helicopter I'm trying to remember what exactly happens here the helicopter lands I think yeah, because he runs out of gas, and then he lands and steals a yeah, boat. Yeah, he runs out of gas, lands, steals a boat, and then... Does the Who-mobile turn into a boat at that point? I don't remember if the Who-mobile turns into a boat or if the Doctor steals... No, he doesn't. The Doctor steals a uh, hovercraft. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Jason Lupton, who is on the speedboat in this hovercraft, and he, Lupton like, tries to swerve and uh, get him to crash into the... Uh, land ha 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 but this is a hovercraft so he just gets on the land and then gets back into the ocean and then the doctor like leaps from the hovercraft uh onto the boat at which point the the spider had already teleported lupton away and it was kind of bat shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah just absolutely wild solid 15 minutes of this 23 minute long episode was this chase scene <laughs> And the cop at the end of it is just like, I'm going home early. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't get fucking paid enough for this. Fair. Uh, that cop was my favorite character the whole story. <laughs> Big mood. I don't get fucking paid enough to do this. Yeah, that's all I got for this episode. Most of it was just a chase scene. I do want to point out one moment, though. Because, like, the <laughs> when they go past the police officer at first, and... Uh, he gets on the radio and calls control and says that uh, a future car is being chased by an old jalopy and a helicopter. I'm going to pursue and then control gets on the radio and says, copy. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Johnson's off his rocker today. <laughs> yeah. And also for that, that, that green screen when the who mobile started flying was, Boy, kind of rough. <laughs> a lot of the green screen in this episode was uh, not good. Not great. No, like worse than usual. Yeah, yeah. Which is saying a lot for 1970s Doctor Who. Yeah, I mean, because there's been some green screen for like for the period. I'm like, hmm, that's actually not bad. But I'm like, you could see the green lines around them. And... Yeah, there's a couple scenes later with the spiders moving around that I think were okay when the doctor is in the chamber with the the great one as eh, yeah it's a little rough, rough a little rough part three part three yeah it was it was mostly just that chase sequence like there's not a whole lot <laughs> to really talk about was. other than how crazy it was the doctor's like i'm doing science until wait is there a really exciting car chase that's about to go down i have to get in on that <laughs> i gotta get in there <laughs> all right part three Lupton appears in the monastery and is greeted by Choji. Tommy notes the pretty crystal Lupton has. He then telepathically communicates with the queen spider, and she agrees to let Lupton keep helping. 
However, when the spider attached to him tries to exert its influence, Lupton overpowers it with his new powers from the crystal. The spider agrees to assist him in gaining more power. Tommy finds Sarah and says he has a gift for her, but she is looking for Yates. She leaves before he shows her the gift, the crystal that was stolen. Realizing they have lost the crystal, Lupton and the spider decide to go to the queen spider to bluff their way around their failure. Sarah is accidentally transported with them to Metabellus, and she is hidden by a few primitive, a few primitive-looking humans. The doctor arrives just as she is about to be handed over to the queen spider, and the creature has the doctor blasted with some psychic energy. I like how uh, Lupton teleports away, and he has he has the crystal. And uh, he's having a conversation with... Is his spider ever named? No, I don't think so. No. Um, I didn't think so, but I wasn't sure. It would make things a lot easier to parse out in the notes. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but he, they're talking about the crystal, and uh, he's like, this will give us power. And she responds with, power like you couldn't imagine. And I'm like, oh, I'll be able to shoot two lightning bolts? <laughs> My god. <laughs> That does seem to be the only thing the crystal does, like making you a little smarter and shooting lightning. Yeah, I, the crystal doesn't even make you shoot lightning. It was the spiders oh yeah, that's that just that. the spiders. <laughs> it teaches Tommy kung fu. Kinda. We'll get to that when we get to that. <laughs> <laughs> this has always been a huge pet peeve of mine, and it's kind of come up several times in this podcast. But I'm going to put it into better words now. Why do they want to conquer Earth? Why Why Earth specifically? It always bugs me anytime there's like some sort of evil alien and their plan is to conquer Earth. Why? Why Earth specifically? I remember I asked my dad that when I was a kid. I was like, why is it always that they just, it's set on Earth? Why do they want to conquer Earth? And my dad responded with, well, where do you think the film crew should go? It's <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> don't be a smartass. <laughs> It's a genuine question. I mean, I guess there's probably only so many planets with organic life to be conquered. My initial thought is, uh, spoilers for later, I guess, these spiders originally came from Earth, but then they were born on Metabelis. But, like, maybe they want to return to their the planet they came from, I guess? I don't know... I don't know. I don't know. I have the, I have the same... This pet peeve came up every single time the Master wanted to conquer Earth. Like, why? Why do you want to do that? What's so great about Earth? I just kind of accept it as, like, the Master's... He just wants to feel important. And, like, Earth people aren't that smart. It can't be that hard to conquer them. The, ma- the Master failed to conquer Earth once, and just, like, since then, it's just been a matter of... It's a matter of principle. He just keeps coming back. It's like, no, 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 no. I need to conquer Earth now because I, I, when I put my mind to it, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's on my vision board, right next to me, kissing the doctor. <laughs> I am picturing a 90s teenage girl's room with, like, a whole bunch of pink and pastel colors and also, like, boy band posters on the wall and everything and then the master in his full all black getup, just like on the bed, kicking his legs back and forth, and just like writing in his diary. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of ridiculous villains, Lupton kind of goes on a monologue here about why he wants so much power, and it's kind of 
really fucking lame. And also, I kind of love that it's really fucking lame. Because it really <laughs> showcases just how much of a fucking tool Lupton is. Yeah. He says that he wants to take over the world, but he doesn't start with that. Because he used to be like a, a really important salesperson. But then the firm that he worked for fired him. And like, he's talking about how he wants all this power and he says he wants to get back at the firm no the country why not the world and i'm like eh, you, you can talk about wanting to conquer the world all you want i think it's absolutely hilarious that this guy made a pact with an all-powerful alien spider to give him unimaginable power just to get back at the people who fired him from his job <laughs> What a loser. He's such a fucking loser. And I think that's the point. <laughs> because there are several times in this story where Lupton thinks that he's in a lot more control than he is. Mm-hmm. He's a tool. And this whole scene just shows off just how much of a fucking tool he is. So what you're telling me is, is that the real villain of the story is capitalism. The real villain of every Doctor Who story is either capitalism or bureaucracy. <laughs> Put the two together, you got the ultimate villain. Capitalism, bureaucracy, or authority. Those are the only three villains of Doctor Who. <laughs> Sometimes one or multiple of those are just wrapped up in an eldritch horror from Beyond the <laughs> Void. <laughs> I like how every single companion that we've ever had just kind of like wanders off and pokes into places that they aren't supposed to. But the fact that Sarah Jane is a journalist kind of gives her a reason to and not just, well, the writers decided to make me stupid right now. So I guess I'll go poke around the villain's lair now. Like Sarah actually has a reason <laughs> to be there. <laughs> yeah. That being said, she goes back down into the uh, basement where they do the ritual summoning. And she thinks it's a grand idea to stand in the middle of the summoning circle. Why? Why would you do that? <laughs> There's a big X there that says, do not stand here. And you only read the last two words and figured the others weren't important. It's like, okay, stand here. And then she's just like glued to that spot before she's teleported away. <laughs> well, Mac, how else was she going to get the metabellus? Did you ever think about how hard this is for the writers? <laughs> she reads almost as well as Tommy. Speaking of which, forgot to bring this up. They make Tommy live in the closet underneath the staircase. That's where he keeps all his stuff. And I think I also saw a bedroll. And I'm like, are you... did you bastards make this guy fucking sleep in a closet? <laughs> what the fuck? Because <laughs> then he goes in there and he's like, he's like practicing reading like one one word very slowly at a time and yeah that just proves even further that man rowling had no original ideas did she <laughs> nothing you gotta love tommy he tries so hard i i like tommy i i think i think tommy's good people that's kind of the point of something later that yeah. tommy is good people and apparently that gives him superpowers. We'll talk about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, because he remembers Sarah because she gave him her brooch. 
Uh, so he wants to give her a gift. So this motherfucker, this absolute gem of a human being, steals back this crystal from the fucking spider and leptin. And they don't even fucking realize it. Yeah. He just, like, climbs up a tree and, like, reaches into his window, takes the crystal, and then goes back down. That's great. <laughs> Again, this fucking crystal. Just hot potatoes everywhere. Usually when I say that an episode is a hot potato script, it usually means that the characters are just kind of going from one place to another. This time it feels like they have an actual hot potato. It's a hot, yeah. mu- it's a hot MacGuffin. There was dialogue that I absolutely loved here. Uh, because they know that Sarah has been transported to Metabilis 3, and the doctor is uh, going to go ahead and get into his TARDIS to go after her. He's like, I just have to go to Metabilis 3. And then Mike, God bless Mike Yates, points out the thing that I point out all the goddamn time and is always another one of my biggest pet peeves of sci-fi. Mike points out, Metabilis 3 is a goddamn planet. How are you going to search an entire goddamn planet to find one person? And then the doctor's just like, I'm me. I'll do it anyway. And then just like leaves. I'm like, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> Here's something super like, well, like, I don't know, but the TARDIS will know. What the fuck does that mean, doctor? And even Mike is like, you're saying like the TARDIS is like alive or something and the doctor's like <laughs> I don't know am I I I think something that he alludes to I'm not sure if it was in this conversation or some other scene but like he's able he because you know the TARDIS is very erratic in terms of like where and when it lands but he knows that he can land on Metabilis 3 because he's landed on Metabilis 3 before and like he just has to jigger some stuff so that it will just go back to a previous location. Except that it is established that the doctor stole the crystal years before where Sarah is now. So I'm not entirely sure how that works. <laughs> but it's fine. The doctor can pilot uh, the TARDIS just fine, except when he can't. Yeah. <laughs> That's the vibe I'm getting. That That is the hard and fast rule of Doctor Who. The Doctor can pilot the TARDIS except when he can't. That's just how it is moving forward, just so you know. (laughs) Okay. I'm angry about it, but fine. (laughs) All right, fine, but I'm going to complain the whole time. (laughs) I'm like, look, Doctor, do you know what you're doing or not? One thing I was kind of disappointed in, because the last time we were at Metabilis 3 in the Green Death, it had, like, a blue house with a blue little window and a blue Corvette and everything was blue for him. (laughs) But now we are here and it's just kind of brownish and there's not a whole lot of, I I feel like I remember someone saying Metabilis three has like a blue moon, like a literal blue moon. So is it, is it the Metabilis is only all blue at night because we definitely see nighttime shots later in the story. And yeah. it is not blue. I'm just a little disappointed by the lack of blue. I want more blue in my life. <laughs> I want more blue. I want the weird swamp creature he fought. I want the weird-ass pterodactyl thing that swooped down oh, at him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Man, he had a hell of a time. Both times he went to Metabellus, huh? So, when Sarah first arrives, she's kind of taken in by these tribal humans, uh, and they allude to, like, their ancestors came here from Earth on a spaceship or whatever. 
Uh, but they've got to hide her because if the spiders catch wind of her, they'll um, kill her. Because a couple guys get got, and then the doctor arrives and argues with the spider and then gets shot by it. Yeah. Because when they first find Sarah and bring her back to the village, they instantly jump to the, uh, oh, she's a spy. We need to kill her. I think I can now add this to the uh, list of tropes that I'm really fucking tired of seeing in Doctor Who. Of like, jump to the conclusion that they're a spy. Let's kill them. It feels like it happens a lot to just add some tension just automatically with whatever group they meet wherever they go. Yeah, because one of them even has, like, a really dumb line. He's like, because she's like, no, like, I'm here. Uh, we have a common enemy, the spiders. And he's like, ah, see, only a spy would use forbidden language. Uh, to which I just thought, wouldn't a spy use, or go out of their way not to use forbidden language? Yeah. I I don't know. This seems, this seems like really faulty logic. Yeah, I didn't I didn't like that character because he, he just felt very... He was the member of the group who wants to attack now and is just, like, very hot-headed and has some sort of antagonistic thing to say to every other line that we've seen a lot in previous Doctor Who episodes. Like, just the Crotons definitely had that type of character. Yeah, the Sensorites had a character like that. One or more of the Space Station with Cybermen episodes definitely had that. Yeah, it, it's a it's a tired trope, and I'm I'm tired of it. That's not to say that he's the only character that I hate in this part. Uh, I hate all of the humans on yes. Metabolus Three. They are all very one dimensional, and all of them are played by some of the worst actors we've had so far. <laughs> yeah. I genuinely mean that. Like this is my first ever community theater production levels of acting. Yeah, not good. I really feel like the whole human subplot of Metabellus, or Metabellus, however you fucking say it, was not needed. Yeah. They spent so little time actually there. I was like, who who the fuck are these people? I'll bet you anything this was the, this was the thought process during the writing. Okay, the spiders are on Metabellus. Are they just going to be fighting spiders the whole time? Because we can't really do that. No, 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 no. They'll have guards that we'll use we'll have human guards okay but how did humans get on metabilis well there was the crash landing so then all the humans are guards working for the spiders well that doesn't make much sense uh let's go ahead and then they just then like made the village and barely gave it any sort of thought they i will bet you anything that they just made that entire subplot so they could justify having human guards yeah i i would absolutely believe that even though there's absolutely nothing stopping them from just calling the humans aliens. Yeah. They could have painted them blue because dabba dee dabba die. And then be like, oh yeah, these are the native uh, Metabelans. The spiders came and conquered them. Bish bash bosh, you're done. Yep. No more world building needed. <laughs> it would work for me. I don't... <laughs> And we could have saved ourselves dang near a whole episode just doing that. <laughs> can save us a couple of episodes. And then I like how the, the doctor fights off the guards a little bit and he tries to get away from them. And then one of the guards 
puts out his hand and shoots out the electricity, the same electricity that Lupton has. And I was like, oh, yeah, these guys work for the spiders. They have the same powers as the spiders. That did not click in my head that these guards would have the electricity powers (laughs) (laughs) until, like, after they used them. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And, yeah. That's all I got for this episode. Part four? It's correcting you. Part. Not, it's yeah. not episode. It's part. <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. I'm reading part four now. Do you have more notes? I don't care. I'm reading. <laughs> Sarah slips away as the doctor is left for dead. Barnes and the other men argue on Earth about Lupton, and Tommy struggles to read a sign. Sarah returns to the doctor, and he weakly tells her that he needs a bag out of the TARDIS to survive. She slips away and gets captured. Lupton and the spider try to seize power from the queen spider, but she and the council order them to deal with the Sarah and with Sarah and the doctor first. Tommy realizes that he can read now and has improved mental capabilities now that he has touched the crystal. The doctor recovers from his condition without Sarah or the bag for some reason. He then decides to go after her, but ends up getting caught the exact same way she did. Yeah. When you say it out loud, <laughs> you're like, "Wow, nothing happened in that episode." <laughs> Sarah gets caught. And then the doctor gets caught. And that's a rat. Yeah, there's the cutaways to Tommy, you know, Algernoning, but eh. Absolutely nothing happens in this episode. Holy shit. Yeah. I was kind of amazed when I was writing it down, like going back afterwards. I was like, oh my God, nothing happened in this episode, even remotely. Yeah, like I'm looking through my, my notes here and I'm like, I make the note that the recaps feel like they're going back. Like that's happened a lot in this story. Like, the recaps go back pretty far. Almost every episode has been, like, two minutes at least. Episode 6 does something interesting with it, and I kind of wish more of them do, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Then the Doctor was zapped with lightning, and the spiders have left him for dead, and then they pull the Doctor into one of the houses. The number of times Sarah has thought that the doctor was dead in front of her (laughs) is kind of sad and this poor girl (laughs) this poor fucking girl (laughs) she needs therapy and also i have some more note i have some more thoughts on that subject at the very end of this story (laughs) especially after this story i really need sarah to just like become incredibly numb to it right (laughs) like i really just need her to be like Everyone else is reality. Like, oh my god, the doctor's got blasted by lightning. And Sarah just go, he's fine. Come on. Like that comic. A kid, like, running towards the two adults. Like, daddy, daddy, look what I found. And then a meteor comes and slams on the kid. And one of the adults is like, oh my god. And the and the first adult's like, no, 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 hold on. And the kid just, like, comes out from underneath the meteor. It's like, daddy, daddy. He's like, see, as long as you don't acknowledge it, the kid's fine. <laughs> it's the same with Sarah Jane at this point. Like, somebody else is like, oh my god, the doctor is dead. And it's like, no, 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 Just don't, don't draw attention to it. He's fine. He'll he'll get back up. He'll be fine. <laughs> he just wants attention. He just, just ignore him. He just wants attention. <laughs> That's the kind of companion I need. If you don't act like anything's wrong, they won't think anything's wrong. He'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> if we keep freaking out every time he dies, he's just going to keep trying to do it. <laughs> <laughs> he's just going to keep doing it. At least eight more times. (laughs) (laughs) The absolutely only note I have about this episode, besides Tommy, like you said, kind of flowers for Algernon, 
is the fact that the doctor says, I need that bag out of the TARDIS to survive, and then wakes up and is totally fine without it. Well, no, he, he, she goes to get the bag. Does she come back? I don't remember her coming back. No, she doesn't come back because she gets caught, but she drops the bag, and then one of the other humans goes out and gets the bag. Oh, okay. Uh, I just missed that. Yeah, that that's what happens. Because I just thought she got caught, and the doctor just woke up anyway. What I don't understand is, like, the bag is brought to him and the doctor like they like pull out a, a weird machine from the bag and they're like i have no idea what this is and then they give it to the doctor and he like flips a switch and i don't know what happened he flipped a switch and like some sort of special effect it almost looked like like brown lightning i don't know how to describe it it just kind of like shoots out of it and i think it was supposed to be like some sort of weird defibrillator I don't know. Anyway, the doctor's fine now. Because shut up. (laughs) For a second, I thought it was going to be the regeneration device. Because when he first regenerated, like when the first doctor turned into the second doctor, didn't he have some sort of like bag and he pulled something out to do it? No, he just needed to go back to the TARDIS. No, he just needed to be in the TARDIS. Yeah. For, I don't know why. I don't know why he needed to go back to the TARDIS. You're making a face like there's actually no consistent logic to how regeneration works. No, there, there is. I'm just trying to think. It's like, was there a reason why he needed to go back to TARDIS? I think he just wanted to be around familiar stuff. I'm, I'm honestly struggling to remember like Tenth Planet Power of the Daleks. Did he like? Because I remember he basically locked Ben and Polly out, and then he regenerated, and then Ben and Polly got in, and is like a new. Per- I don't remember. I don't. I don't know. Regeneration does not require a machine in order to do it. <laughs> okay. The point is, I thought it was going to be the regeneration machine. I don't know if this was meant to be comedic, but it absolutely fucking was. Sarah has been taken kidnapped by the spiders, and um, she has been like wrapped up in this big cocoon, and it has been revealed to her that pretty soon, within a couple of hours or a couple of days, she is going to be taken to the spiders, and she is going to be devoured by them. And she's learned this horrifying fact. And then just hard cuts to the doctor just sitting at the dining room table eating soup. And he's just like, mm, this, this food, this soup is delicious. I absolutely love it. <laughs> and then it's like, doctor, don't you like want to go rescue her or something? And the doctor's like, mm, she's fine. Anyway, this soup. She'll be <laughs> <laughs> and then the doctor goes out and he does some faffing about as i would describe it good good way of putting it yes and then gets caught and then my the part i thought was funny was sarah is talking to the other guy in there with her about how the doctor is gonna come save her and then like that that moment the doctor comes in with two guards beside him and he's like oh hello sarah and she's like doctor <laughs> He's like, hello, Sarah, Sarah Jane. And she's, like, relieved to relieved to see him. She's like, doctor! And But, like, he, like, holds up his hands, like, eh, give it a second. And then points to the guards behind him. And then she's like, oh, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> that was very funny. You fucking asshole. <laughs> While the doctor was getting into the spider compound and was um, fighting off, he fought off a bunch of guards, and then he goes off, then he, like, runs off, and then he a bunch of more guards come and uh, try to catch him. And he says, Oh dear, this is getting monotonous. And I was like, 
Your words, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> just like episode two was mostly a um, chase scene, this episode is mostly just getting caught. <laughs> getting caught. Yep, a big, a big extended sequence of it. There's some other stuff on Earth, but like I don't feel like it really went anywhere it, or meant anything. It doesn't. Tommy starts reading more books that are more advanced reading levels, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah. I'm reading part five now. I was about to say something else that happened on Earth, and then I realized that it doesn't matter. Continue. <laughs> part five. The Queen Spider finds out that Lupton and his spider lied and orders them to be dealt with by the Great One. A guard arrives and takes Sarah away, and the Doctor manages to slip out of his cocoon shortly after. The Queen Spider convinces Sarah that she does not want to destroy Earth, and she agrees to help the creature get the crystal back. The Doctor hears Sarah's voice and follows it into a nearby cave. There he meets the Great One, and she demands he return the crystal. The Doctor is shocked by her power and runs away. A now more intelligent Tommy puts together the conspiracy that has been happening and relays it all to Choji. The spiders come through and begin attacking everyone in the monastery. Sarah and the doctor reunite and return to Earth on the TARDIS. They speak with Campo and try to piece together what to do about the crystal and the great one. Tommy stands guard and the men, now possessed by the spiders, appear and blast them with psychic energy. So man, did they tie up the doctor fast. He is just like cocooned as fuck. (laughs) <laughs> and I do love how the doctor and Sarah are just like lying next to each other, both wrapped up in webs and they just spend like a good several lines back and forth. Just a bunch of eating puns <laughs> 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 making fun of the fact that they're definitely about to be eaten by giant spiders. <laughs> Very cool. Very hilarious topic. <laughs> it was to me. <laughs> <laughs> but then Sarah uh, is cut loose from her from her cocoon and is being taken away by the guards. And the, the doctor, I love this. The doctor uh, yells at her and says, "Sarah, try to stall them as long as you can." And she responds with, "You bet, doctor. I'll try my best to give them indigestion." <laughs> <laughs> that was good. You know, all of that was ad libbed. It might have been. <laughs> But then the doctor is just like relaxes his muscles and like shakes out of the out of the cocoon. And he says that he learned the trick from uh, his uh, of chap he met named Harry Houdini. But we all know he actually learned it from Ben because Ben did that trick in um, the Highlanders when he was thrown into the water. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all know the doctor actually learned that trick from Ben. But Ben quoted Harry Houdini and was like, ah, oh, cool. A cooler name I can drop. I'm going to use that. <laughs> I like that Sarah is meeting with the queen and the queen is like, no, no, no. I don't want to conquer Earth. I have no reason to conquer Earth. I just need to get the crystal back for the great, for the old one. Or the great one. I, I keep wanting to call it the great old one. I was like, no, it's one of those adjectives. It's the great one. It's the great one. And Sarah just, like, keeps making demands for, like, her cooperation. It's like, you're going to let the doctor go. Yes, absolutely. And you're going to let all of the all the humans here go. It's like, yes, fine. It's like, and you will not go anywhere near Earth. And she's like, very well, I agree to your terms. And I'm like, the queen was way too quick to agree to all of Sarah's demands, 
which is a very big red flag that she's definitely going to be betrayed. Yes, very big red flag. No, no. Trust the sentient spider. What could possibly go fucking wrong? Everyone knows that spiders probably have the most sensible, loving, peaceful brains imaginable. They definitely don't want to suck all the blood out of your body. What? No, that's crazy. You're crazy. Now get into this barbecue sauce bath. (laughs) I didn't check this, but I'm wondering if all of the spiders have the same voice actor or if each of them just have like the same vocal effects placed on their voice. So it makes them all sound very similar because all of the spiders kind of sound the same. The queen, Lupton's the, the great one. They all sound very similar. I thought they were all the same. So, yeah, which could have been really creepy if it had been written a little differently. Because if they had like a kind of a hive mind intelligence, that would have been terrifying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know you probably hate the fuck out of her. I really like the great one because we've established that these spiders have have mental powers to uh, over other people. And I kind of like that the doctor goes to the great one. Because he thinks that Sarah is in trouble, but it turns out the Great One is just, like, able to make the illusion of her voice and drew the Doctor in. And then the Doctor is, like, the Doctor who's used to being in control of most situations that he's in or is able to talk his way out of suddenly has absolutely zero control of his faculties. And she makes him, like, turn around in place. Like, he is Mm -hmm. clearly trying to fight it, but he can't, and he's just like becoming a puppet and she basically lets him go because like okay yeah you've seen what i can do now go on go get my crystal and he like runs away scared because he has it's a situation that's out of his control and he hates it (laughs) yep and i think i i think this is probably one of like the biggest like personal threats that he's faced like this doctor has yeah, this doctor for sure. Except arguably Omega, maybe. But uh, I can definitely see why. And this doctor seems just like so... I mean, we've we've made the comment before of like, he is a snarky asshole to everyone. He always feels like he is the biggest man in the room. And I feel like this is one of the few times in which that has been visibly proven to be not true. Mm-hmm. So... When later he talks about how much the Great One got under his skin, I believe it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I think the scene with the Great One is probably like one of the best scenes of the story. Yeah. Because I really like, and I think that's why I like the story so much, is I really like seeing the Doctor, who's like usually on top of it, like usually like a little bit ahead of everyone else, just being completely out of his depth and realizing it. Realizing that it's like, oh, fuck, this is way beyond me. That comes back later in how he, air quote, defeats the great one in that he doesn't <laughs> he yeah. <laughs> he doesn't defeat the great one and that we're i'll talk about it more a little bit later but uh yeah i kind of i kind of love the great one as a villain yeah i agree i really like the great one as a villain it seems like a continual reiteration like an improvement upon the animus yeah and the great intelligence i don't love what the great one is trying to do <laughs> But for more or less the same reasons of, like, why you don't like the why Earth logic. Because hmm. the Great One just wants to conquer the universe because. 
like I don't know. I I would like something beyond like conquest. And if it was an Elder Tour, I'd really love it to like be wanting to achieve something that is just outside of the Doctor or or ours understanding, and that the consequences of that for mortals is just in fucking relevant. Very true. I think. I don't know if it's in this episode or the next episode where we find out why it is that the Great One needs that crystal so badly. It's the next episode. It's in the next episode? Yeah. Okay. I th- But I think once we find out her actual motivations as to why it is she wants that crystal, it almost feels like conquering the universe is just kind of like the logical next step after she gets what she wants of like, Eh, spoilers uh, but we'll, we'll talk about it we'll talk about it uh next part yeah but then sarah and the doctor meet back up and go back to earth and they go they're like instantly right there with campo the abbot yeah uh another white dude acting like a tibetan man yeah very uncomfortable it's obviously not great the actor who plays campo isn't putting on as much of a voice as the guy playing Choji. True. And so it was a little bit less cringe for me. It kind of it felt more like a just a wise old man kind of character. Choji, meanwhile, <laughs> is like, I could do an impression of Choji, but I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want that on the internet. I don't want that on the internet. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> but he's doing like a very what a British person would think is a Chinese accent. So, uh, yeah, I had less of a problem with Kanpo than I did Choji. But anyways, they're talking, the spiders come through and start fucking everything up. And then Tommy standing guard outside the door. They keep shooting lightning at him, but it like, it doesn't have the same effect on him as it does seem to everybody else. Like it floors everybody else. If not outright kills them. Uh, but Tommy is able to just like tank all these hits and it's not revealed why until later. And I don't like the explanation. (laughs) The same reason. In fact, the same exact reason why I did not like how they were able to defeat the demons. (laughs) (laughs) At one point, the doctor figures out that there are some other rocks on Metabilis that have like kind of similar properties or like unique properties. And he kind of uses it as like a shield against the electricity. But like, it's kind of weird. Cause it's just like this tiny little like skipping stone kind of thing that he uses just like every time someone does an electricity, he just like blocks it with that. And it's just, you better hope that no one, that two people don't shoot lightning at the same time. It looks dumb. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Part six. Part six. Flashback to a few minutes before, and the men use the power of the spiders to track the crystal. Then we see a more extended sequence of the Tommy fight for some reason. The doctor realizes that Campo is his old mentor, and the man tells the doctor that he has to return to the cave and face the Great One, even though it may mean he dies. When he is gone, Campo regenerates and takes on the form of Choji, who is actually a mental projection of himself. In the cave, the Doctor realizes the Great One's plan is to use the crystal as part of a larger crystal machine that will continually grow its mental power. The Great One wants to use that power to conquer the universe. The Doctor warns of the dangers of the plan, but the Great One does it anyway and is destroyed in the process. The Doctor barely manages to escape 
on the TARDIS before the whole mountain explodes. Three weeks pass without a sign from the Doctor, and Sarah is resigned to his fate. Then the Doctor appears on the TARDIS, though he is incredibly weak. He passes out, and Sarah thinks he has died. Campo appears and explains that he is not dead, but he will help the regeneration process along. Sarah and the Brigadier watch as the Doctor transforms into a younger man. So something that I really like that Part 6 does that all the other parts didn't, and I feel like they should have. They do the the flashback, the recap, but they also added more context of like perspective of other characters, of what they were mm-hmm. doing during the scenes of that flashback. And I think that is a good way of bringing a little bit more life into this. Yeah, we get it. Fast forward kind of recap. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was cool. I hope that they do that more in the future because I don't believe they've done it up to this point. Yeah. No, I don't think so. I, I did too because <laughs> once I saw Tommy again, I was like, skip, skip. And I was like, wait, whoa, whoa, what the fuck? I'm confused. I did the exact same thing. <laughs> I started <laughs> skipping ahead and then saw scenes that I hadn't seen before and had to rewind. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, kind of proving the point there. <laughs> um, I do like when they're going to fight Tommy though like all the guys like strike Power Rangers poses as they shoot lightning at yeah <laughs> <sighs> do you want to explain it so Tommy can't be affected by the lightning strike because he's pure of heart yeah am I understanding that correctly <laughs> Yeah. Which I guess is because he was up until like half an hour ago simple. I still hate using that word. And so like he hasn't It's dumb. <laughs> I don't have anything else. Like Kanpo just has like a throwaway line of oh, he can't be hurt because of his uh his pure heart. And I'm like, "Fuck you." It is solid gold. <laughs> uh incredible which makes sense why the doctor almost fucking exploded upon contact with it which is also funny because in a second canpo's about to get hit by a lightning bolt and then he fucking dies (laughs) so like (laughs) he was not pure of heart (laughs) (laughs) it's revealed that sarah is being possessed by the queen and it makes sense because earlier she was shown to have teleportation powers quote the queen showed me how and uh also since she got to earth she's been like yeah so that crystal do we do we know where the crystal is can we can we can we get that crystal i like that there was very obvious uh signs that she was possessed without being like give me give me the crystal kind of yeah thing i thought it was more subtle than i was expecting (laughs) Yeah. Because <laughs> when Lupton is possessed, he looks like he's going to fucking die. Like, he looks like he has a fever and is just, like, about to drown in sweat. But I guess the queen's just better at it. <laughs> so she's able to be more subtle with Sarah. The The crystal from Metabalus has a weirdly specific power of free someone from mind control. And it's weird the amount of times that has come up. (laughs) Like, it's such a weirdly specific power, you wouldn't think it would come up very often, but I can think of, like, at least three separate occasions in which it's done exactly that. 
<laughs> between this episode and Green Death. Yeah. The scene with the Doctor and the Great One was good. I really like this scene with the Doctor and Can- and Kenpo. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I'm thinking of the third Doctor and all this, all the times he's had. And, like, I think this is the first time the Doctor's ever really owned up to the fact that basically all of this is his fault. Yeah. He stole the crystal. He pissed off the spiders. He brought their attention to Earth. It's his, it's kind of his fault. Like, he didn't, and he mentioned that he didn't know that he was stealing a crystal. He thought it was just, like, a cool rock at the time. But in his, in his lust for knowledge, he inadvertently put himself and others at risk. And I think that's a good parallel to what happens to the Great One in a minute. Oh, yeah. And I also appreciate that fucking now they explain how Time Lord Regeneration works. <laughs> after, the, after the main character's already done it twice, now we're going to explain the mechanics. <laughs> Finally. Because Kanpo is like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm done in rings. I'm coming to the end of this life. And Sarah's like, I don't understand. What are you talking about? And the doctor's like, Oh, well, when a Time Lord's body starts to deteriorate when it comes to the point of death, it can regenerate into a brand new one. Episode fucking 70-something, and now we're now we're finding this out. God damn. He knows what he has to do. He has to return the crystal. He also knows that just in the brief time he was in the Great One's chamber, if he's in that chamber any longer, it will probably kill him. But he needs to own up to his mistakes. So, like, knowing that he's about to die, he he goes to return the crystal. And that's cool. That's a cool moment. <laughs> God, Doctor, you're so humble when you want to be. You're so humble, like, a couple minutes before you fucking die. <laughs> the growth. Instantly redeemed. <laughs> then he goes back to Metabilis. And the Doctor... Doctor deals with the humans there again, and then like, still just awful. I hate them. I hate them, and I hate them every time they're on screen. Yeah, they're the worst. The more important scene when he actually gets in the cave, the Great One says a line that pissed me off. What line was that? She's like, "At last, the crystal. I have searched all of space and all of time for it." <laughs> and my immediate instinct was, "Really? You searched all of time?" Including the couple of minutes before the doctor took it. Well, you know, I hadn't gotten to those bits yet. But, like, I looked over in those bits over there. I looked in that that little part of time over there. I I basically searched all of time and space. I admit there were a couple of places that I neglected to look. But, you know. And this is where time you why me bullshit makes me mad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, it's fine if the Great One can't travel back in time and needs the crystal that makes sense why she needs to kill the doctor but why add a line where she looked through all of time and space when she clearly didn't well you could argue that um she definitely didn't but she thinks that she did because Mm. the fact that she believes that she's basically all-knowing and infallible she's infallible and she just wants even more knowledge is kind of the point. <laughs> Fair enough. That's called a foil, everyone. Side note, before we get to before we really get into that, 
Uh, I have a very super specific fan theory of what the fuck Choji is. <laughs> None of which I can actually talk about here, but in like <laughs> several hundred episodes, I'll be like, okay, so you remember Choji? <laughs> <laughs> but um, the great one explains what the crystal is because basically the great one has developed this web of crystals that will basically be a superconductor for her in which all of known knowledge all of time and space will basically be uploaded into her brain she will be she will know everything in the world she's just missing that one tiny little link to complete it and that tiny little link is the crystal. And the doctor basically he's like I've been there. I I I understand because I'm also a lust I also have a lust for knowledge and he's just like I don't do this. You're going to regret it. It's not always good to have infinite knowledge. Like it's not always you you don't know what you're asking for. And she's like whatever, give me the crystal. And so he's like Okay, here you go. And he, he gives her the crystal and it's uh it's put into the web and then it works. She has all of uh all of the known knowledge of all of time flowed into her brain and she cannot fucking take it. It is incredibly overwhelming for her and to such a degree that like she's dying, which is causing all of the other spiders to die. And their whole palace like collapsing on itself. So I just love the fact that the doctor is like, hey, you know what? I kind of fucked myself with all my with my uh, arrogant pursuit of knowledge. And uh, now here's a villain who also has an arrogant pursuit of knowledge. I know what's about to happen. (laughs) Go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Will the doctor retain any of this moving forward in other adventures? Probably, Probably not. not. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I, I think it, I think it's a really really cool moment. But uh, but it's somewhat undermined a little bit of like this dramatic moment of like all the spiders simultaneously dying. Oh, by the way, we did not bring this up because it was absolutely irrelevant. Uh, after the humans assaulted the compound on Metabilis, they were actually possessed by spiders, and all the guards that were working for them also under the control of spiders. But now they're they're no longer under the spider's control. And one of the humans says, We're free! And I make the note of, We're free! He says with the exact intensity and passion of a ten-year-old might have when they get told they get to have two pieces of candy. <laughs> the, act, the human actors on Metabila suck, is my point here. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. So, cut forward. Hard cut after the mountain blows up. Uh, three weeks have passed, and Sarah is in the doctor's office looking all sad. <laughs> and the brigadier is like, what are you upset about? And she's like, oh, I just, I know the doctor's for sure dead this time. And the brigadier is like, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, because she's like, it's been three weeks. There's no way he's, there's no way he's alive. And the brigadier is like, I've, I've gone months between seeing him. Like, you'll get used to it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> There was one time I saw him again, and he wasn't even the same person. So. I think he even says that, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, 
once there was a month there was a month long or months long span he comes back he has a completely different face <laughs> i don't know what his deal is but i have a feeling that he's fine there was a, there was a moment that is kind of sweet and i i think you're going to disagree with me but the tardis materializes into uh this his lab and um it's a little confusing because like the doctor is clearly like hurt and drained and uh dying he's i think he says that he didn't pilot the tardis the tardis brought him home and it brought him back to yeah and i was like that's sweet i know that i'm kind of sick and tired of the whole unit story arc but it is sweet that it's like the tardis brought me home and here i am see you thought i went like that but i actually did like okay i was like oh the doctor has a home that's that's good i'm glad i'm glad you liked it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, I was actually surprised about how much I liked it, because I was like, oh, I was like, what the fuck? Do I care about this show? <laughs> oh, shit. I didn't know oh, I was shit. invested. <laughs> Am I picking up on, like, weird dialogue nuances? Oh, fuck. <laughs> like, the doctor referring to things as home? I love this, because, like, Kanpo kind of appears uh, as, like, a projection to basically reassure everyone that uh, the doctor is going to be okay. Uh, the brigadier is like, uh, Miss Smith, would you be so kind as to introduce me to your friend here? And she's like, that's Choji. Well, it's it's not Choji. It's, it, he pretended to be Choji, but he's actually Kanpo Ramosh, who then made became the form of Choji. And <laughs> brigadier's like, Thank you. That makes everything quite clear. <laughs> it all makes sense now. I was like, and I just made the note of the brigadier can can be funny when you let him be. <laughs> His best parts are when he's funny. So Choji, or I'm sorry, Campo is explaining that the doctor will regenerate, but he's gonna speed up the process a little bit, and then he like does something with his hands, and I thought there was gonna be like an effect. But there, but there isn't. I can almost guarantee you, the actor also probably figured there'd be some sort of special effect <laughs> in his hands. But I am very confused a little bit in this scene with just like, she has seen the doctor dead in front of her several times, and it turns out he's fine. Also, earlier in this story, she saw Kanpo regenerate. The concept of Time Lord regeneration has been explained to her in full, and yet she is 100% certain that the Doctor is dead and nothing can be done and he's gone forever. And I'm like, have you not been paying attention, like, at all? <laughs> Listen, she's headstrong. When she's got a thought, that's the thought, and absolutely nothing is going to change it. And Kenpo also is like, okay, now, because I'm kind of pushing it a little bit, the new doctor might be a little bit erratic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he said that, and I was like, hmm, the doctor, erratic. That would be different. And then uh, John Pertwee fades away, and Tom Baker fades in. And my last note for this is, and hello, Tom Baker, get comfy, you are going to be here a while. <laughs> <laughs> God, I thought the third Doctor was here for a while. What do we get? Did we get six seasons with him? Uh, I don't remember the... 
five? I don't remember the season count. I will tell you that um, we got 24 stories with the third Doctor. The second Doctor had 21. The first had 28. So we actually were with the first Doctor longer than the third. I know it doesn't. I know it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> there's, there's no way. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, on a story count, maybe, but like, on a pure episode and season count, there's no fucking way. I, I admit, I haven't counted like individual episodes, so maybe. But yeah, story wise, we've had more. We've had more with the first than we did with the third. All right. I. It's been a while since we've had to do this, so I don't remember. Um, do you want to do? Goodbye, my dear, and then trivia, or trivia and then goodbye, my dear? Uh, let's do goodbye, my dear, and then trivia. Okay, so, goodbye, my dear, Captain Mike Yates. I think for both Benton and Yates, when they're first introduced, you don't really realize that a character has been introduced. <laughs> yeah. They're just kind of faceless soldiers, I think. But of the two, I feel like Yates get develops a personality faster than Benton does. Because mm-hmm. I can and I kind of liked Yates. He was he was kind of cool. He was cocky. He was very flirty with Joe, more than a little bit flirty with Sarah. And I thought he was he was a, and he like not necessarily flippant, but he was. He's not just a regular soldier. He's a cool soldier. Uh, like yeah, I'm gonna do what the brigadier tells me to do, but I'm definitely gonna be rolling my eyes while I do it. <laughs> and then he had his spirit and body broken with his work in the military and he turned on all of the human race so <laughs> hell of an arc for this guy <laughs> what an arc but like come on who among us hasn't hasn't done that at least a little bit your job drives you crazy and you try to wipe out the human race it happens to everyone it happens do you have any strong opinions about Michael Yates? I'd say overall, and this is something I'd say with Ben and Yates, I both I found them both to be entirely forgettable and interchangeable until about the Green Death. Yeah. And then from there, I felt like, okay, they have like distinct personalities now. But it was really like the first time where the Green Death, because I think it's the first time I saw Yates without his hat on. I was like, oh, that's what Yates looks like. <laughs> because... There's a point in the Green Death where, like, oh, yeah, Yates owns that building. I was like, that was Yates? I think the first time I actually noticed that Yates was a person was in Day of the Daleks, where Joe tries to get food for Benton, and then Yates orders Benton to uh, do another lap around the around the manor, and then he takes the food that Joe was meant for, meant for Benton, and he says Rank has his privileges as he just, like, pops it. And pops a grape into his mouth and walks away. That was the first time I really noticed Mike as a character. <laughs> <laughs> Up until that point, yeah, I agree. He was just, he was kind of interchangeable and just another soldier. But I think my favorite moment with Yates is in the Green Death. After he's been brainwashed by the company and the fucking headphones of doom. And the doctor unhypnotizes him and then explains like, all right, Yates, we're going to need you to go back. And he's just kind of like, fuck yeah, let's do it. I was like, okay, Yates, you're kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of difficult to say because I'm, I'm kind of in agreement. Just the whole double agentness in the Green Death was just kind of one big favorite moment in terms of Yates. 
honorable mention, however, goes to the time that he was hit with a World War II bomb and just kind of swerved out of the way of it and was fine. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shall I go on to trivia? Yeah, let's do trivia. All right. Uh, this is the first time the term regeneration is used on screen at all. Is it really? Yes. <laughs> How the fuck did they explain it before? I think they just say that uh, that uh, he's changed his face before. He can do it again. Without actually like <laughs> explaining what the fuck <laughs> they're actually doing. This is also the first time we see a Time Lord other than the Doctor regenerate. Though not credited, this episode was co-written by Barry Letts. Meaning that this is the one and only episode of Doctor Who that is written produced and directed by the exact same person ah. as we as we noted in part two the story includes a huge chase scene including multiple vehicles this was included by barry letts as a going away present to john pertwee who loved chase scenes <laughs> so they gave him the granddaddy of all chase scenes as a as a going away present <laughs> there's a character mentioned by brigadier named sullivan like he he like tries to get the uh the mo on on site after the psychic dies and he says get me sullivan this is kind of an introduction to that character but he makes his on-screen debut and that is a unique situation for a future companion (laughs) oh (laughs) once the doctor regenerates the brigadier is just like looking at him and says well here we go again. That was ad-libbed by Nicholas Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> Parts of this story were recorded at the exact same time as the next one, which means that both John Pertwee and Tom Baker were playing the Doctor at the exact same time, and also that Elizabeth Slayton and Nicholas Courtney had to keep running back and forth between sets. <laughs> <laughs> This is the only regeneration story in the whole show without any scenes on the TARDIS. I mentioned that uh, Elizabeth Sladen had had arachnophobia and hated the scenes when the spider was on her back. Robert Sloman said that he was not happy with this story, and he said that he was cleaned out of ideas. Just a reminder, hmm. he co-wrote The Daemons, Time Monster, and Green Death. So I'm not sure I fully agree with him, because I'd say this is definitely one of his better ones. Yeah, definitely one of his better ones. And to make John Pertwee's final episode special, Barry Letts wrote a story and assembled a cast that was comprised entirely of Pertwee's friends and former guest stars that he got along with. Oh, Which is kind of sweet. I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah. And final thoughts. Yeah, I really liked it. It's, I, it's definitely one of my favorites of The Third Doctor. I don't know exactly where it ranks. But I feel like instinctually I like the Green Death more. But I thought this episode overall was pretty good. So yeah, I could have done without the human stuff on Metabellus three, and like the problematic uh, depictions of Tommy. But other than that, I really didn't have any problems with the writing, which was kind of impressive. Yeah, uh, I also really liked this episode. I actually raised it higher in my ranks as we were as we were talking about it. I think it did a really good job of like ramping up the stakes and making them more personal for the Doctor. Mm-hmm. In, in his fi- in his final episode i like the little bit of lore we get more about the doctor and then i regeneration i guess <laughs> that we didn't know something we didn't really touch on a whole lot Canpo was the the hermit that the doctor mentions that i really liked in um 
in his story in The Time Monster. The one that kind of taught him how to reevaluate how he sees the universe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we kind of didn't touch on that, but Campo was the doctor's mentor, which is probably why he tried to help him out and give his regeneration a push at the end. I was worried that the spider effects were going to be really bad. They were not. They were pretty good. Yeah, they were. They really weren't bad at all. So I wish they were a little worse. <laughs> it was a strong episode for, to be Mike's last, but it also feels a little bit odd that what went down in Dinosaur Invasion was barely brought up. Yeah. And that felt like more of a conclusion to his arc than this did. <laughs> Oh, 100% like, agree. Dinosaur Invasion was where Mike's story ended, but also contractually the actor had to come back for one more. That's how it felt, honestly. <laughs> Lupton was an interesting villain in that he had ambitions, but was 100% a tool of the spiders and never had a fucking fighting chance. Mm-hmm. And it's just like Lupton had these grand plans of conquering the conquering the world and in just a couple of rooms over was the great one who was going to be trying to conquer the entire universe. <laughs> it's just kind of, it's, it was, it was just fun to see a villain who thought he was such hot shit when he was just not barely a tool being used. It was, it was fun. I think all things considered, uh, it was a pretty good send off for this doctor too. It did not quite have the same kind of emotional highs that the Green Death did. The Green Death really felt like a finale. But yeah, but otherwise, I really liked it. So I haven't felt this good about an episode since the Green Death. So <laughs> well, that's something. Well, that's it for this episode, guys. Thanks for listening. If you want to support us, the best thing you can do is give us five stars and tell your friends about us. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you know, all the major podcast things. If you want to follow us, you can follow us on Instagram at Quick Trip Podcast. You can also check out Mac's YouTube channel, Mac the Math, where they do insightful videos about video games. And join us next time on a quick trip through space and time, in which we take a look back on the third Doctor's era, and John Pertwee in particular, in The Doctor is Out. <laughs>